All right, everybody. It is Friday, January 6, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, we have made it to our first Friday of 2023. It's Friday, Friday. All right. I will uh, I will spare everybody my Rebecca Black uh, singing. But yay, it is Friday. Let's I, do this. I actually hear I, I hear from a lot of people, Jill, that they appreciate the um, elder millennial pop cultural references, <laughs> which we will bring you again and on this day today. Can't Stop, Won't Stop. We Mosh. Can't Stop, Won't Stop by Miley Cyrus. I thought Biggie. Oh, well, Biggie can't stop, won't stop. But then she can't stop because she won't stop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to some news, shall we? Chilling new details about the night that four University of Idaho students were murdered as the suspect appears in court for the first time. In D.C., 11 votes and still no speaker. But there's reportedly a deal in the works that could help Kevin McCarthy cross the finish line. Overseas, Russia issues a temporary ceasefire in Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainians say, just leave our country. America has a shortage of plumbers and carpenters, but Gen Z does not appear interested in applying. Some great news on the health of Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin and a bizarre new TikTok trend. Plus, Mosh, of course, will have on this day and we'll also break down what we are watching, reading and eating over the weekend. Okay, let's start with some new information about the murders of the four Idaho college students. The suspect, Brian Koberger, appeared in an Idaho courtroom Thursday for his first hearing since being extradited to the state this week. He was initially arrested last week in Pennsylvania and charged with four counts of murder. The judge ordered him held without bail. On Thursday, authorities released a bunch of courtroom documents, including the affidavit laying out details about the investigation and the evidence that they have against him. So here's what we know so far. Police found a tan leather knife sheath in one of the beds where two of the victims were found dead. Uh, According to court documents, a state lab found a, quote, single source of male DNA on the sheath. And that DNA was compared to DNA taken from trash from the Koberger family home in Pennsylvania. And the results showed a match. Jill, we're finally getting details now on what took place on the night of those murders of those four college students. Now that Koberger is back in Idaho, we have seen the affidavit released. I linked to it on the Instagram page on Thursday. We're also learning from the affidavit uh, details from one of the surviving roommates. Keep in mind, four of them were murdered, but two survived that night. One of the surviving roommates told investigators, according to the affidavit, that she heard crying in the house the morning of the murders. The student who's identified by law enforcement as DM, they're keeping her identity anonymous, uh, also said she heard a voice say, quote, it's okay, I'm going to help you. And then saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her. She described the person as a male, at least five foot ten, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The roommate said the person walked past her as she stood in a frozen shock phase and then locked herself in her room. Uh, really remarkable here, given that he allegedly uh, murdered four of the roommates, that he passed her by and didn't go after her. Uh, certainly going to lead to more questions in the trial, but these are some of the remarkable details we're learning from the affidavit. 
The affidavit also talks about that white sedan. It's referred to as the suspect's vehicle, according to the documents. That car was seen leaving the area of the home at around 4.20 a.m. at a very fast rate of speed. According to the document, the vehicle returned to the scene between 9.12 a.m. and 9.21 a.m. Investigators also looked at Koberger's phone records and his cell phone pings. The phone pinged in the area of the home where those killings took place on at least 12 occasions prior to the murders. And uh, all of these occasions, except for one, occurred in late evening or early morning hours. Most what also struck me after reading the affidavit um, is how normal of a night these students were having up until the murders. Uh, it read like any other college evening. They were out at a club, going to a food truck. One of the students was on her phone looking at TikTok, another ordering DoorDash early in the morning. Um, and it feels as if, you know, clearly we're going to find out more about any potential motive, et cetera. But it, it, it's just like any other night. Yeah. And, and we still don't know any connection that Koberger had to these students, why he allegedly, uh, you know, he is a suspect right now. There is a presumption of innocence, but why he allegedly murdered them. There's a lot that we don't know about the motive right now. One other thing we learned on Thursday, Joel, that is uh, sort of uh, notable and slightly bizarre, Koberger applied for an internship with the Pullman Washington Police Department for fall of last year. Apparently, he wrote an essay where he applied for an internship with the police department, uh, saying he had an, an interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. So, you know, we know he has this whole criminology background was uh, working on a doctorate in that front, but it looks like he was also looking to work in law enforcement this past uh, semester. All right, a quick update now on where things stand when it comes to the election of the Speaker of the House. The House cast an 11th vote on Thursday and Republican leader Kevin McCarthy failed again. Uh, and for those tracking the history here, it is no longer the most protracted Speaker of the House election since 1923. It is now the most protracted election since 1859, Jill. You have to go back into the mid-1800s for a race that has taken uh, as long as the current Speaker of the House race. This is despite some fresh concessions uh, to some of the more hard-right Republican populists uh, who have been opposing his bid. Uh, though McCarthy allies tell me on Thursday night as we record this, they think that compromises and rules changes that McCarthy is offering could open things up and could lead to potential compromise. Uh, as of this recording, uh, conversations are continuing with opponents. It is too soon to say, though, whether it'll be enough to get him over that threshold, 218 votes. He keeps uh, kind of being stuck at about 201. It is important to remember one of the reasons we keep tracking this story is that no other business in the U.S. House can proceed without a speaker, including the 70 or so new members. They are not even officially new uh, Congress people. They're members elect uh, until there is a speaker. The McCarthy opponents, uh, despite some compromises made on Wednesday night, did not pick up any votes in the uh, 7th, 8th, 9th, or 10th rounds on Thursday. The 20 or so no votes uh, continue to vote against him, though you can kind of split up the group. There are the Never Kevins, the Matt Gateses, Lauren Boebert, uh, a few of those who say there is nothing he can do. He needs to step down, uh, though McCarthy allies think they can uh, make a compromise with the rest of the conservatives uh, who have issues with them on various policy matters and rules that they can open up. Though many of those items, Jill, were once red lines for him. It includes now 
uh, allowing a single member to force a vote to oust him as speaker once he becomes speaker. Uh, also, term limits for members on Republican members, uh, more seats for the Freedom Caucus on the powerful House Rules Committee. And so there's a question here on how much he can compromise on before losing moderates in his caucus. There are some moderates that are getting a little shaky about giving so many concessions to the far right here. Uh, and that's sort of the compromise he's going to have to do to bring over the far right without losing the rest of his caucus. And most we've been talking about it all week. Th- this caucus, this Freedom Caucus has also been called the Chaos Caucus. And just in a sign of potentially them not taking this so seriously, Matt Gates voted for Trump as speaker in a couple of the rounds uh, on Thursday. So it just goes to show you that this is kind of getting into a little bit of silly season in a lot of ways. Well, especially especially for a few of them. A couple of them have like very specific issues with Kevin McCarthy. And then Matt Gates is like smiling and joking and Marjorie Taylor Greene is laughing at him as he votes for Donald Trump for speaker. So there are definitely some people who are not taking this very seriously, just looking for some attention. Uh, it was notable, Jill, on Wednesday night, Lauren Boebert was on Fox News where Sean Hannity was effectively yelling at her and grilling her, being like, what are you doing? What, like, you're embarrassing the party here. So it is leading to a divide, even among those who are who consider themselves very conservative. Okay, heading overseas now, Russian President Vladimir Putin ordered his forces to observe a 36-hour ceasefire in Ukraine starting today for the Orthodox Christmas holiday. That decision was made at the request of the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, and it would be the first sweeping truce since the start of the war nearly 11 months ago. Ukraine has dismissed the offer, saying there will be no truce until Russia withdraws its troops from occupied lands. One of the president's aides tweeted, keep hypocrisy to yourself. Ukraine's National Security Council chief tweeted, what does a bunch of little Kremlin devils have to do with the Christian holiday of Christmas? Who will believe an abomination that kills children, fires at maternity homes, and tortures prisoners? A ceasefire, lies, and hypocrisy. We will bite you in the singing silence of the Ukrainian night. Uh, Not mincing words there, Moshe. Um, The U.S. State Department also skeptical, as is President Biden, who said it was, uh, quote, interesting that Putin was ready to bomb hospitals, nurseries, and churches on Christmas and New Year's Day. Yeah, no, uh, the the Russians killed uh, several uh, Ukrainian civilians on uh, the December 25th Christmas, as well as around uh, New Year's. In the past, Ukrainian officials have dismissed these similar limited truces as just Russian propaganda, just them trying to buy time and regroup as they prepare for more attacks. Officially, Jill, the Russian Orthodox Church uses the ancient Julian calendar, which celebrates Christmas on January 7th. Uh, much later than the Gregorian calendar, which celebrates it on December 25th. And incidentally, some Orthodox Christians in Ukraine have recently started celebrating Christmas on December 25th to show their anger and defiance at Moscow. So we're going to watch what happens over the next couple of days between the Ukrainians and this um, alleged Russian truce. It does come as more weapons are being delivered to Ukraine. Germany said it will now match a U.S. announcement last month to supply Ukraine with a Patriot missile battery. That's the most advanced surface-to-air missile system that the West has provided to the Ukrainian military until now. France says it will hold talks with Ukraine on the delivery of some armored combat vehicles that can destroy tanks. And Biden is expected sometime today to announce that Bradley fighting vehicles, this is an armored vehicle that can also serve as a troop carrier, will soon be sent to Ukraine. That's according to NBC News. Everyone wants to get more sleep, and there are a ton of different sleep hacks out there. Noise machines, meditation, earplugs, which I do. 
but you can immediately transform your sleep with Bowl and Branch. We have Bowl and Branch sheets in our house. They're in white. They are so soft. In fact, we say all the time, but they really do get softer with every wash. And the sheets also come in a really pretty box, kind of wrapped up like a present just for you. They feel buttery and breathable to start. And again, as Moshe and I always say, they get softer with every wash. Best of all, it feels a little bit luxurious every time you slip into bed. These best-selling sheets are also made with the finest 100% organic cotton. They're completely free from toxins, soft yet super breathable. There's a 30-night worry-free guarantee so you can wash them, style them, and sleep in them for an entire month. And if you don't really love them, you could send them back right away. And again, they're made without toxins. There's no synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde, and other harsh chemicals. So sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl & Branch. Get 15% off your order when you use the promo code MONEWS at bowlandbranch.com. That is Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. That promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, for 15%, 1-5% off your order. Okay, time now for the speed read. Let's start with some very good news on Damar Hamlin from USA Today. The Buffalo Bills said Hamlin has shown remarkable improvement over the past 24 hours. While still critically ill, he has demonstrated he appears to be neurologically intact. His lungs continue to heal and he's making steady progress. Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest in the first quarter of Monday's game since suspended against the Cincinnati Bengals. Hamlin opened his eyes and can grip the hands of those close to him. It's amazing, Moshe. I'm I'm so happy. I, I I mean, given what we saw take place on Monday night, it is remarkable to be getting these updates. Uh, everyone has been uh, praying and sending their thoughts, and it it is great to be getting these updates. But we should remind folks that he still remains intubated and on a ventilator, and he can't speak. But he can write, apparently, questions and answers on a pen and paper that's next to him. One of the first things, apparently, upon waking up on Wednesday is he asked doctors who won the game on Monday night. So uh, clearly uh, pretty responsive so far. The doctors credited what they call the lightning quick response of the on-field doctors Monday night in saving his life and preserving his neurological function. Uh, They got his heart started again uh, in time, apparently right now, not to lose major brain activity. Upon Hamlin's collapse on the field on Monday Night Football, within one minute, the team doctors from both the Bengals uh, and the Bills were on the field, uh, providing him immediate CPR, shocking his heart. And so the doctors spent time on Thursday talking about how much of a difference that made because of how quick they were. The cause of the cardiac arrest is still under investigation. And we should tell everyone that doctors emphasized multiple times yesterday that Hamlin still has a ways to go. He'll need to start breathing on his own soon as they take him off a ventilator. That'll be a very cautious gradual process, and it is too soon to say whether he will make a full recovery, but certainly uh, some positive signs as uh, we bring you this podcast on Friday. I also want to mention this tweet from Albert Breer. He's an NFL reporter. He wrote, one hero who should be recognized. Last night, I was told the work of Bill's assistant athletic trainer, Denny Kellington, in administering CPR to DeMar Hamlin on Monday was absolutely vital. The speed and skill with which he and others reacted was a huge difference maker. Yeah, Jill, every second matters when the heart stops. uh, And as various organs don't receive oxygenated blood, literally every second matters. And the fact that these doctors were so quick uh, is is really what is making uh, potential recovery here possible. 
From Politico, President Biden announces a new program to curb illegal migration as he prepares for a visit to the border. In a rare White House address on the nation's southern border crisis, President Biden unveiled a new policy that will accept 30,000 migrants a month from four nations or humanitarian parole to eligible migrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. It will work as part of a border strategy that incorporates an expanded use of Title 42 expulsions. But Biden is also warning, quote, do not just show up at the border. Stay where you are and apply legally from there. Starting today, if you don't apply through the legal process, you will not be eligible for this new parole program. What's interesting here is you you did see a, a rare specific immigration event by Biden. Uh, many folks on the right have been begging for this sort of thing. Uh, and it does come as the uh, crisis has been escalating on the border. It was notable, Jill, that Biden admitted he'd never liked Title 42. That's the public health law that's been in effect for uh, more than two and a half years now that has allowed the U.S. to expel asylum seekers. But Biden admitted it was the law of the land, uh, and he had to enforce the law of the land as the commander in chief. Uh, It is still now up to the Supreme Court. And as of December, the Supreme Court uh, did leave it in place for now. We will be awaiting a full hearing in February. Biden believes actually they'll knock it down. We'll see what happens there. In the meantime, something had to be done. And this announcement was made as the Departments of Homeland Security and Justice released details of a plan to impose a new regulation. Uh, This is a version of the Trump era policy, often called a transit ban. Under this new rule, migrants would be prohibited from applying for asylum in the U.S. unless they were first turned away for safe harbor from another country. And it would also deem ineligible any migrants who don't go through authorized ports of entry. So clearly uh, adding some laws here. Uh, So this is the president attempting to get tough to a certain extent. He's sure to be getting criticism from progressives on the left here, but was hearing enough from the middle, from the right here to have to make a move. And Biden admitted Thursday that this won't fix our entire immigration system until Congress passes the funds, a comprehensive immigration plan to fix the system completely, uh, that the White House is going to have to make things work at the border with the tools that they currently have. The president is also confirming plans for his first visit to the U.S.-Mexico border since taking office. He's going to visit El Paso, Texas on Sunday. He says he wants to assess border enforcement operations. He's going to be meeting as well with local officials. Yeah, we'll bring you more uh, from that meeting in our uh, Monday podcast. We'll see how that goes. That's also been a a big push from uh, border state governors and uh, folks on the right, including some Democrats uh, who represent border areas, saying Biden needs to get down there and needs to get his eyes on just the state of the crisis, especially El Paso, where they've been seeing thousands of people living on the streets. Jill, staying with border news here for a second, the Washington Post is reporting that the Mexican military on Thursday captured Ovidio Guzman. He's allegedly one of the country's top fentanyl traffickers, and the last name might seem familiar. He is the son of uh, infamous uh, drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman. The arrest comes just days before Biden is expected to visit Mexico. Uh, Guzman's detention in the city of Culiacan, that's about 400 miles up the coast from Puerto Vallarta, was hailed by the Mexican defense minister as a powerful blow to the drug cartels. Uh, The U.S. has been pushing for his arrest for a while. In fact, we had a $5 million bounty on his head or for information leading to his arrest. But in a sign of the cartel's strength, the arrest sparked a wave of retaliatory violence across the Sinaloa state with gunmen throwing up roadblocks, seizing cars from terrified residents, firing on planes at the airport in the region. So it is chaos in the Sinaloa region. 
following uh, Guzman's arrest. This arrest comes three years after a very humiliating episode in which the Mexican army detained him, this younger Guzman, but then had to release him after cartel gunmen seized control of much of the city. So we will uh, monitor developments down there over the course of the next few days. On the COVID front from CNN, XBB15 may be the most transmissible subvariant of Omicron to date, according to scientists. Health experts voiced concern over the rapid growth of the new Omicron sublineage, advising the public to stay informed but not alarmed as they work to learn more. Over the month of December, the percentage of new COVID cases in the U.S. caused by that variant rose from an estimated 4% to 41%, which is a a stunning increase per Dr. Ashish Jha, the White House COVID-19 response coordinator, that Omicron offshoot could drive a new COVID surge in the U.S. It isn't clear, though, if it causes more severe disease or how well the vaccines will work against that new strain. Uh, Those studies are ongoing. Yeah, there's no data yet, uh, Jill, on the severity of XBB15. I guess we're now at XBB15. We haven't broken from the Omicron. They just kept getting these Omicron subvariants, but there is no indication at the moment that it makes people any sicker than previous versions of Omicron. Uh, I've seen a couple quotes from public health experts that between natural immunity and uh, the number of people vaccinated, they do not expect to see a dramatic rise in hospitalizations. It sort of speaks to us going from pandemic to endemic with COVID. Meanwhile, we're also learning from Reuters that China is defending its handling of its COVID outbreak. That's after President Biden voiced concern to the World Health Organization, uh, saying that Beijing is underreporting their virus deaths. We've told you about how China scrapped its very stringent COVID controls last month after protests uh, that effectively shielded the 1.4 billion Chinese citizens and residents uh, from the virus for the last three years. Uh, the uh, COVID has exploded in population centers since then, since China basically gave up on zero COVID. The World Health Organization says China's numbers are underrepresenting hospital admissions, nothing new here, uh, and to intensive care unit patients, deaths. Uh, Beijing's definition of COVID-related deaths is too narrow, they say. It's been reported, Jill, and I've gotten notes from several Mo News community members in China that funeral homes are literally not allowed to list COVID as a cause of death. So they all have to come up with other causes of death for people there in China right now. Uh, The U.S. is among more than a dozen countries that have been imposing more restrictions on travelers from China given the explosion in cases there. From NPR, America needs carpenters and plumbers Try telling that to Gen Z. While the creation of technical positions has continued to grow, the number of students interested in applying for them has not. Occupations like auto technicians with aging workforces have the U.S. Chamber of Commerce warning of a massive shortage of skilled workers in 2023. While Gen Z, often described as people born between 1997 and 2012, is on track to become the most educated generation, fewer young people are opting for traditionally hands-on jobs in the skilled trade and technical industries. Yeah. So you're saying that they'd rather get an art history degree than a degree in plumbing or auto technician. Jill, according to a number of job sites, applications have plummeted for a number of these positions like carpenters, plumbers, uh, and various technical workers. And especially as more things get computerized, especially auto techs, uh, they do need people, you know, a- engineers, people with uh, more tech and people with technical degrees 
to work in some of these roles. Uh, by the way, we should note that the median salary for carpenters uh, as of last year was just under $50,000. For plumbers, uh, pipe fitters, and steam fitters, $60,000. And for farmers, ranchers, and agricultural managers, uh, more than $70,000. There's an urgency to fill open posts right now, especially as the federal government funnels billions into projects to upgrade roads and transit systems across the country. Remember the infrastructure bill that uh, Biden and McConnell were celebrating just yesterday? Well, we now need workers to use some of those funds to rebuild those roads, bridges, et cetera. Jill, I should say that this story uh, struck close to home for me. I am the son of a cabinet maker. My dad, uh, several generations going back, my great uncles uh, were all cabinet makers, carpenters. I grew up working in my dad's cabinet shop, uh, though I personally always had a passion for journalism. So there was no chance of me taking over the family business, so to speak. My brother wasn't necessarily interested in either, though my brother is slightly closer. He's a home theater and computer repair technician in the Chicago area. Look, this is a serious issue, actually. I mean, if you, as a relatively new homeowner, I could tell you things break all the time <laughs> and it's very hard to find people to come and fix them and, and they could pretty much charge whatever they want because there is so much demand and uh, so such little supply. Yeah, and as more things become computerized, electronic, uh, in homes, in vehicles, et cetera, we're gonna have a need for these and it'll be interesting to see whether at some point uh, the, the government, state governments, uh, local governments, federal government has to step in and incentivize the next generation. I know there's been a huge push into STEM uh, to uh, incentivize kind of this next generation to uh, get into some of these roles. From the LA Times, this celebrity death prank took TikTok by storm, but not everyone found it funny. An online prank that recently went viral on TikTok put that to the test as people recorded their parents' reactions as they lied and told them that their favorite celebrity had died. The videos are short. Many found the visceral reactions satisfying. One woman reacting to the fake death of Ozzy Osbourne wailed for nearly 10 seconds in a single breath. That clip was viewed 15 million times. The oddest trends most start on TikTok. I, I don't totally understand it, but this one just seems so incredibly morbid. Yeah, obviously, I spend most of my time on Instagram these days. I haven't seen this really blow up in Instagram reels. Uh, but apparently, as I was looking at this story, uh, you know, the number of fake TikToks about Tiger Woods dying, Denzel Washington dying, Taylor Swift dying, Oprah Winfrey dying, uh, are really blowing up. They've racked up millions of views and likes, are shared widely. Um, some, though, are not amused and have taken a TikTok to share their disgust. Uh, one user called the trend insensitive obviously, while another asked people to leave the prank in 2022, please leave that behind. Uh, among actual celebrities, TV host Andy Cohen uh, really took people who are involved in this prank to task on his show, Watch, Watch What Happens Live. Uh, Cohen has been the subject of several death prank videos, uh, saying on his show this week, quote, I have no desire to experience people's reactions to me dying. I'm scared enough of dying in reality without having to watch bizarre simulations of it over and over again. This is like one of those things. I mean, remember, Joe, like you just have these weird trends. Remember planking was a thing 10 years ago? I just feel like all of these various like video trends spark up. But this is like very morbid. Most planking feels like a hundred trends ago. <laughs> and it probably, it probably was. <laughs> I, I think like MySpace was still around when planking was going on. But it just gives you a sense. There's all these like weird, bizarro trends that like if you try to explain it to people 10 years from now, you're like, what? What are people doing? They're making fake death videos. It just... Like, come on, guys, grow up. <laughs> 
All right, Jill, uh, as we do every day, a couple on this days for you. Obviously, today is January 6th, so uh, we should just note for the record, uh, today hmm, marks... Where do I know that date yes, from? Today marks two years since supporters of President Trump stormed the U.S. Capitol, where Congress was trying to certify Biden's win in the 2020 election. You've obviously heard no shortage of things about January 6th in relation to that, but I have a couple other January 6th on this days for you. On this day in 1540, and this is mainly because I'm just like, kind of obsessed with Henry VIII. On this day in 1540, 483 years ago, Henry VIII married his fourth wife, Anne of Cleves. This is the fourth of the six wives uh, that Henry VIII had. Uh, you know, he left the Catholic Church for them. Uh, Anne of Cleves, lesser known, she uh, they had a six-month marriage. Uh, he had gotten her portrait. She was uh, from Bavaria, from the Germany area. She then arrives in uh, in England. He decides he doesn't like her. She doesn't look like her portrait. He's like, no, I'm divorcing her. They were married for six months. He then gave her a castle to live for the rest of her life. Uh, much better fate than a couple of his other uh, wives. He had beheaded two of them, but Anne of Cleves, not one of the beheaded ones. I love that she didn't look like her portrait. It's such a 1500 spin on somebody not looking like their profile picture on Hinge or Tinder or whatever it is that people are using now. Jill, I was reminded of this because I saw the, uh, the uh, performance of Six on Broadway, which I highly recommend. It's a very tight musical about the six wives of Henry VIII. Uh, and one uh, way to remind yourselves of the fate of the six is uh, this phrase, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. That is the fate of the six wives in order. Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. She's the second divorced one, Anne of Cleves. Moshe, I saw you wrote that in the notes and I didn't read what you were talking about. And I'm just like, what <laughs> is he up to for this on this day? I don't even, I couldn't even venture again. Hey, well, now you know, and uh, I will make sure this year on the On This Days to mark uh, some important life event in the other five wives of Henry VIII. Okay, one other news item before we get to a pop culture item. On this day, 28 years ago, Jill, Nancy Kerrigan was clubbed in the right leg after a practice session in Detroit, Michigan, under the orders of Tanya Harding's ex-husband, Jeff Galuli. Speaking of a uh, one of the most memorable events of the 1990s. First of all, I remember that um, so vividly. And also, the movie, I, Tanya, about just that whole incident is great. I don't know. Uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, I recommend. I second that recommendation. I think they did a very good job of it. And it does speak to like a lot of those stories in the 90s that were covered in a certain direction. Uh, and it does give you some uh, added sympathy for Tanya Harding, who really became, you know, like at least the way it was covered the first time around, you know, like basically pure evil. And you start to develop a real sympathy for um, her life and and what led to things. And and I sort of like the revisiting of some of these major news events of the, of the 90s. We've certainly talked about the Monica Lewinsky story, but the, the Tanya-Nancy story, I think I, Tanya does a very good job of revisiting and giving some real context there. And Jill, I can't let an On This Day go by without some musical historical uh, piece of info. On This Day, 50 years ago, Carly Simon reaches number one on the Billboard charts with her song, You're So Vain. You're so vain. You probably think this song is about you, don't you? So it was widely believed, Jill, that that song was about Warren Beatty, but then people thought it was about James Taylor, David Bowie, David Geffen, the producer, even Cat Stevens. Uh, she apparently then confirmed at some point that it was partially about Warren Beatty, uh, who she had dated in the early 70s. But fun pop culture fact for you there. I now think of um, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days anytime I hear You're So Vain. Oh, her adapted lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, cheers to the freaking weekend, Mo. Cheers what we are watching, reading, and eating. Kick it off. What are you going to be watching? So, Joe, I'm hearing great things about the Bernie Madoff Netflix documentary. So uh, I am looking forward to watching that at some point this weekend. It's called, uh, I believe, Madoff, the Monster of Wall Street. Okay, it is not new, but I'm going to be watching the Howard Stern interview with Bruce Springsteen on HBO. We talked about uh, Bruce Springsteen on yesterday's podcast. The interview features a lot of in-studio performances as well. And he explains what was behind so many of his most beloved songs like Thunder Road and Born to Run. All right, Jill, now for what we're reading this weekend, uh, I have a piece printed out from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I'm old school like that. I like to print out longer articles uh, all about... You're like my parents. <laughs> But they they don't print it out. They just cut it. Oh, they, like they're they're cutting out. They scissors. just cut articles they're going out. School like that. Yes, okay. exactly. And, and there will even be highlights as well. Um, usually, I go to the house and they're taped onto their cabinets in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, is this for me? So I'm just uh, I'm just going more 90s, early 2000s style of printing out the articles uh, from the website. But the journal has a great piece. We'll link to it in the show notes about Facebook's uh, struggle of trying to get out of politics and how messy it was with them trying to mute political content and the unintended consequences. Jill, anything you're reading this weekend? All right, so I'm going to be listening to a podcast about a book, which I think counts, counts, okay? (laughs) Um, Journalist Barry Weiss and her wife are interviewing Emily Oster. She's an economist. She wrote the book, Expecting Better, Why the Conventional Pregnancy Wisdom is Wrong and What You Really Need to Know. This book is all the rage right now, especially with new parents. And that's because it uses data, actual data, to debunk a lot of what we think we know about pregnancy and parenting. For example, uh, according to Oster, it is okay to have an occasional glass of wine or sushi when pregnant. Um, She's also one of the people who came out very strongly during the pandemic against schools being closed, again, because the data showed just how damaging it was for kids. All right, now for the uh, most fun part while we're eating this weekend. Jill, uh, we're recording this slightly earlier on Thursday because I'm headed out to celebrate uh, my wife Alex's birthday. Uh, We're down in South Florida for a couple more days. We're headed to a restaurant called Mila. uh, And so I'll be eating some birthday cake tonight. A big happy birthday to Alex, our number one fan, I think, of this podcast, a huge supporter and just a wonderful person. I mean that. I will pass that along to her, Jill, before she listens to this podcast <laughs> on Friday. Um, but in, in in all honesty, I'm so grateful to her. And honestly, Mo News wouldn't be what it is today without incredible her incredible support and her incredible patience. Jill, what are you cooking up this weekend? I have been eating a lot of Leo's, locks, eggs, and onion. My mother-in-law made one for me when we slept there. I, I told you we lost power, so we had to sleep over there last weekend. Um, and it was delicious. And I may say it's zero points on Weight Watchers. Wait, so which there's I'm no bagel doing. involved in this. You're just like shoving a bunch of locks, eggs, and onion. Like, are the eggs scrambled? How does this work? Yes. Okay, so first you cook up the onion. Then you put the locks on the pan. And so that all cooks. And then you throw the eggs on and you do it all scrambled. Got it. Okay. I got, yeah, I, I got thrown off by Leo's and I was like, oh, it's just, it's basically <laughs> scrambled eggs with onions and, and locks. Got it. Yeah, basically. Jill, I feel like I should have known that. I, sh- I should say in a previous life in high school, I was a pancake house waiter. I feel like I should have known what a Leo was. Mosh, I don't totally see that <laughs> for you. <laughs> I, I sooner see you working in a newsroom or maybe in your dad's cabinet making shop. But you know, the more you know. Jill, as a uh, senior in high school, there was no better way to make a whole bunch of cash on weekends than uh, serving up a lot of pancakes and omelets to people in the uh, North Shore of Chicago. 
All right. On that yummy note, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store so we can continue to grow. So grateful for all those reviews. So grateful to all of you who follow or subscribe to the show. A lot of exciting things coming on this podcast in the coming weeks and months. Uh, don't forget to follow us, of course, over on Instagram for 24-7 coverage over at, at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. And uh, we will see everyone back here next week. Have a great weekend. Bye, everyone. <laughs>